Bugatti, the star-crossed history of the most beautiful aircraft ever. The prospects for the 1939 Coupe Deutsch de la Merth air race did not look good. Suzanne Deutsch de la Merth, the widow of the oil king of France, Henri, had revived the competition in 1931 in memory of her late husband. The new coupe would eventually run from the years 1933 through 1936, and it tested pilots and aircraft for speed over two grueling 1,000-kilometer stages. In the 1936 race, winning times were off and participation was down. The next competition was eventually scheduled for 1939, but like much of the future in Europe at the time, the particulars of the event were uncertain. A hopeful dream in an increasingly hopeless time. The upcoming race did not go unnoticed, however, by the Italian-born, naturalized French citizen Ettore Bugatti, the designer and manufacturer of cars of considerable reputation for both luxury and performance. Bugatti founded his eponymous car company just before World War I in Malsheim in what was Germany at the time. After the war, Bugatti picked up where he left off, except that Malsheim was now located in France as a result of the Treaty of Versailles. Bugatti grasped early the idea that success in high-profile sports car races could be translated into sales in the showroom. Bugatti cars were successful in the nascent Grand Prix circuit of the 1920s and at the Le Mans 24-hour endurance race in the late 1930s. Long before the term was coined, Bugatti embodied the philosophy that you win on Sunday and sell on Monday. Bugatti road cars of that era are still paragons of automotive design and highly sought after by collectors. In the late pre-war period, however, it was German aircraft, not just cars, that were gaining a reputation for being the fastest and having the most advanced technology. The nouveau French nationalist Bugatti took this as a personal challenge, to come up with an aircraft which could not only match the German designs, but far exceed their capabilities in every way. As a result, Bugatti turned his attention and entrepreneurial talent to an aircraft that he would enter in the 1939 Coupe. He would fly against German aircraft and the best offerings from around the world. Bugatti set out to design what was to be no ordinary, modest advancement on the state of the art, but a radical new aircraft that employed a wide range of new advanced technologies. Never mind that he had never previously designed any aircraft. To help realize this dream, therefore, Bugatti retained the services of Louis Demange, a Belgian aeronautical engineer of no modest reputation himself and with whom Bugatti had collaborated previously. It appears as though Bugatti and Dumange started with the idea that the exterior appearance should fully embrace every notion of the future as seen from the optimistic perspective of the 1930s. To say that the aircraft they visualized was simply nicely designed entirely misses the point. It is a design that deserves to be considered along with other examples like Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water in Pennsylvania and Mies van der Rohe's Barcelona Chair, which were also designed in the same period. Like those designs, the Bugatti aircraft looked more like it was immaculately conceived and then emerged fully formed from the firmament, much as Michelangelo spoke of the sculpture being released from the raw block of stone. It was as if the first slightly exaggerated conceptual art deco sketch was realized without any compromise, through to the finished aircraft precisely as the sculptured had feverishly dreamed. The smooth, organic compound curves would prove mind-numbingly difficult to build, but there was no aesthetic compromise countenanced at this or any stage of the design. The fuselage of the aircraft scribes out one pure, streamlined, uninterrupted arc from nose to tail. Even the cockpit canopy does not deviate from the silhouette in an appearance much more in keeping with modern sailplanes than aircraft of that day.
The wings were sharply tapered and slightly elliptical from root to tip. They were swept forward rather than projecting straight outwards from the fuselage or swept slightly aft as was typical for the time. The tail was also a dramatic departure from the norm, using a V arrangement to initially eliminate one stabilizing surface. But even in that decision, Bugatti did not compromise, flattening the V slightly to 120 degrees as opposed to retaining the geometrically more obvious 90 that might have been expected. He did this for no better reason, it seems, than aesthetics. A small ventral fin was added to balance the appearance of the tail when the aircraft was viewed from the side. It turned the V-tail into a Y-tail of a sort, the lower extent of which also served double duty as a strut for the tail wheel. It's part of the magic of the design that so many things have multiple roles without any of them seeming forced. In the final exterior design, you can easily imagine Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the famed French aviator and author, was looking at the Bugatti when he said, Perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. Succinctly stated, the aircraft was a prescient, hauntingly beautiful form plucked mysteriously from some bright, imaginary future. Ironically, it was to be known simply as the Bugatti 100P. Bugatti was, at his core, an entrepreneur and certainly not one to miss an excellent co-branding opportunity. He included Bugatti automotive engines in the 100P design from the outset, Just like race cars, exciting planes are a great way to sell on Monday. The use of Bugatti engines was the basis for the first major technical innovation of the 100P design. Bugatti and Demange quickly realized that a single supercharged 8-liter straight-eight Bugatti engine, even one with 450 horsepower, was not going to meet their performance goal of 500 miles per hour for the finished aircraft. There was a loophole in the coupe rules, however, There was an upper limit to the size of the engine for entrant aircraft, but surprisingly, no limit to the total number. Bugatti and Dumange seized on the somewhat dubious opportunity, and a second, identical Bugatti engine was added to the design, but only in a manner so as to not alter the aircraft's appearance. The two engines were crammed into the same fuselage profile, both behind the pilot, one in front of the other. They had to be canted noticeably outwards in opposite directions, so that the propeller drive shafts would clear the pilot on their way forward to the nose. The engines each drove their own propeller, but turning opposite directions on the same axis, what is now known as a contra-rotating arrangement. It is a configuration which makes the propellers more efficient and also eliminates the tendency for the torque of a single propeller to rotate the airframe in the opposite direction. Once again, at least two problems solved with one physical device. Keeping 900 total horsepower at a reasonable operating temperature necessitated sufficient cooling flow over the internally mounted radiators. Again, there was to be no compromise to the overall shape of the aircraft, and air intake ducts were incorporated into the leading edge of the V-tail surfaces, an area of high dynamic air pressure. The air was then ducted forward, opposite to the direction of flight, into a progressively larger chamber, so when the airflow finally passed over the radiator, it was moving at a speed most efficient for heat transfer. The heated air was then discharged into a low-pressure area just aft of the wing. Bugatti and Demange calculated that all the necessary cooling air could be circulated in this manner without additional blowers or fans. The landing gear was designed to be retractable, ostensibly for performance reasons. 
Without a doubt in the case of the 100P, it was also so that when viewed in the air, the aircraft's exceptionally clean lines would not be adulterated by fixed landing gear protruding into the airstream. Such a compromise would have been unthinkable for Bugatti and Demange. Finally, using a technique that foreshadowed control systems only used decades later, a patented split flap was incorporated, the two halves of which could be operated independently of each other. Moving them both in the same direction, up or down, changed the wing shape to provide a controlling effect. Moving them in opposite directions, one up, one down, would have a braking effect necessary for an airplane with such a clean, streamlined shape to slow for landing. But the innovation didn't stop there. The designers must have felt that the operation of the complex flap design would prove too much for most pilots. As a result, they designed a mechanism to operate them automatically in response to sense flight conditions. Although analog rather than digital, it was a rudimentary flight control computer, once again, years ahead of its time. With the aesthetic and technical design complete, construction of the aircraft began, modestly, on the second floor of a furniture factory in Paris in 1938. In order to meet the rules of the Coupe Deutsche de la Meurthe, the 100P had to be finished by September of 1939. It quickly became clear they were not going to make it, but that would prove to be a moot point in the end. Fate in the form of world events intervened, and on September 1, 1939, Britain declared war on Germany, and for the next six years the world descended into a harsh darkness with little appetite for frivolous racing planes or sports cars. In June of 1940, as the German army approached Paris, Ettore Bugatti disassembled the unfinished 100P and fled with it to the countryside. The aircraft was hidden in a barn where it was to remain virtually unnoticed for the next 30 years. With Atori's death in 1947, after the war's end and with no living heir, the Bugatti name was for the most part consigned to history. The 100P was largely forgotten. It was eventually rediscovered and purchased by a restorer of Bugatti cars who sacrilegiously stripped out the original engines which were still bolted into their original positions. The remaining airframe crossed the Atlantic and passed through a number of hands in efforts to restore it. It was eventually entrusted to the good offices of the Experimental Aircraft Association, where it finally received the attention it deserved and made ready for static display. Through the ravages of 30 years in the French countryside, there was never any thought of the original 100P being once again airworthy. So much of the potential of the aircraft could therefore never be proven out. The original 100P, now painted in Bugatti's signature French racing blue, can still be seen at the EAA Air Venture Museum at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. In 1973, Scotty Wilson, a highly experienced pilot from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, was reading the October issue of Air Progress when he came across an article entitled The Discovery of the Lost Bugatti. It detailed the story of the 100P, and until he finally retired some 30 years later, Wilson could not shake the memory of that article. He correctly described the Bugatti as the most historically significant airplane that never flew and eventually felt compelled to try and recreate it. He was determined to stick to the original design as faithfully as possible, 
changing only what was absolutely necessary to meet modern safety standards. Thus began the Rev Bleu project, an international team Wilson led and dedicated to finally realizing the original designer's vision. Despite the fact that few working plans had survived and a host of other significant obstacles, construction of an entirely new 100P commenced in 2009. Wilson visited the Air Venture Museum on a number of occasions to take dimensions off the original aircraft and precisely incorporate them into the replica. A disappointing, although thoroughly correct decision was made to replace the virtually unobtainable Bugatti engines of the original 100P with Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle engines. Wilson retained their unique configuration, however, locating both of the engines behind the pilot's position, canted in opposite directions, one in front of the other, exactly like the original. Japanese precision design and manufacturing resulted in highly reliable power plants with an extraordinary power-to-weight ratio. Watching the videos of the finished aircraft, though, one does wonder how the beautiful racket of the Bugatti engines would have sounded as compared to the muted scream of their thoroughly modern motorcycle cousins. Construction effort, privately funded and even including a successful Kickstarter campaign to contribute additional funds, continued for six years and involved tens of thousands of hours of work. Virtually every part was made by hand, much like the original. Triumphantly, the finished aircraft first flew in August of 2015. At the end of that brief first flight, however, a failure of the right wheel brake sent the aircraft into the weeds next to the runway. The 100P tipped up onto its nose, abruptly stopping both engines. The damage was relatively minor, and another successful test flight was undertaken in October of that same year. While much remained to be proved out, it was clear at this point that the new 100P was at least capable of basic flight. Fate had already intervened a number of times to derail the original Bugatti aircraft project. Tragically, there was yet another cruel turn in the story that lay in store as the test flying of the Rev Bleu continued in August of 2016. In what was otherwise a routine flight, the aircraft suddenly banked sharply to the left and dove nearly straight into a bean field near Burns Flat, Oklahoma. Scotty Wilson was killed instantly, and what remained of the Bugatti burned on the spot where it had impacted. The accident, at the time of this writing, is still under investigation and no specific cause has yet to be determined. Bugatti and Dumage's revolutionary design did eventually fly, of course, as a direct result of the Rev Bleu project. From that perspective, the project was a success. However, the potential that had been visualized 75 years earlier was never proven out. Whether it would ever have achieved the 500 miles per hour the designers intended will remain a tantalizing mystery. With a magnificent effort like the Rev Bleu coming to such a tragic, frustrating conclusion, it's hard to imagine that we will ever know the true potential of this remarkable aircraft. That said, the Bugatti 100P continues to fascinate and beguile so many, both inside and outside the aviation community. Perhaps there is still someone out there with a passion for the aircraft and the age it so aptly represented 
who will be compelled to see Bugatti's futuristic dream in the air, where it no doubt belongs, and take its rightful place in history. There is, on the other hand, a kind of poetry about the Bugatti 100P remaining a beautiful, enduring mystery, un rêve bleu of a simpler and more elegant time. C. Gannon, and I'm not there yet. I dedicate this podcast and essay to the late Scotty Wilson. I offer my deepest condolences to his family and friends who will forever feel his loss. He led an amazing life. Thank you so much for listening, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the show on iTunes or Facebook. It really helps build the audience, which means I get to keep doing this. Not There Yet is a weekly series of short essays podcasted from the second decade of the 21st century. They are all written and read by me, and the entire production is wholly owned by Interlog Inc. of Calgary, Canada. All rights are reserved. If you prefer, you can find the text version of this essay at www.ntyessays.com articles. Our music is Life As We Make It by Olive Music, available on Premium Beat. The Not There Yet podcast is hosted on Fireside of Austin, Texas. The show is recorded using Audio-Technica microphones and a Zoom H4n digital recorder. It is edited and mixed on Logic Pro 10 from Apple. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, remember it's the journey, not the destination. It really doesn't matter if you're not there yet. <laughs>